How are you doing today? I'm doing good. Um, I, uh, fucking getting old, uh, doing so much goddamn shoveling yesterday and today as well. I got a fucking ticket because I have to move my car um, every time they plow the parking lot so everyone moves their car onto the street. Right. But because it got so much shoveling, oh. they put a ban on street parking. So where are you supposed to put your car then? <laughs> that's not the city of Ottawa's problem, apparently. Yeah. My problem. So you can't fight it in court? Just be like, hey, listen, like they're plowing our parking lot. Maybe they had to move our cars to the street. No? That's what I... Well, I just hate it. I, like, all of the all the courthouses are closed. So I don't know when I get oh my, my court God. date. So they, I did... I, I uh, like, contested it. And so they reduced it by a decent amount. But So I just hate it. Just because I didn't want to deal with it. Luckily, today was paid. It was like... Uh, Catherine, Catherine is uh, apparently uh, broke her back shoveling yesterday because the little plows gave up. Yeah, that's how it was in my neighborhood as well. Like, we had to basically on our street because uh, we live in a sort of like a cul-de-sac that faces a townhouse complex. So uh, we had to uh, shovel our way out to the main street. In a sense, like not only shovel our driveways and not only shovel the the road that the plow couldn't get to. Um, but we also have to shovel our way out to like the main arterial road. It was absolute garbage. Um, but what are you going to do, right? We live yeah. in Canada. This is to be expected. Yeah. Well, you know who was like, because who was out doing his civic duty and just rescuing helpless citizens, like a snowy winter Batman. Was our our good boy Duck Ford? Duck Ford is um, he's a retail politician in the truest sense of the word. Uh, I mean, shout out to him because he will actually do um, the the necessary PR stuff, and a lot of politicians are afraid of doing that. Like, mm-hmm. previous, okay, so before Rob Ford, the mayor of Toronto was um, uh, uh, how the hell am I going to forget his name? The mayor of Toronto was help me out here. Used to be Bob Ray's uh, roommate, tall um, uh, dude. No, not Jim. That's Ottawa. <laughs> oh my gosh! I have this tendency for this, like information to just fly right out of my head. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. That's the thing. Like I've got like so much info that I almost feel like I don't know if you remember Married with Children, but uh, Kelly Bundy could only hold so much information in her head at once. And if you tell her something, then a piece of information is going to fly out. So if you needed her to remember something, you could only tell her like what you need her to know and make sure that you don't tell her anything else because if you do it's going like her ram clears like it's going to eject something from the cache that needs to be there and that's exactly how i am now uh that that's what comes with old age you know david miller his name is david miller david miller so prior to rob Ford, the mayor of toronto was david miller and what i was trying to say was that i couldn't possibly imagine david miller like getting out into the street and shoveling snow it just never would have happened um mayor before him was Mel Lastman, and under Mel Lastman's watch, this is something that people still make fun of Canada for. You remember that we had to call in the military to help us shovel all the snow? Yeah. 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 So, it's unfortunate, um, but that's that's kind of the way it goes. Uh, unfortunately here, uh, we just get, like, fried by the rest of Canada for the fact that, yeah, we uh, apparently need to... Um, have the military come in and help us shovel the snow, even though we've had, like, you know, multiple snowfalls since then that have been heavier, we've done it on our own, but for this thing that happened, well, like, like, 
almost 30 years ago and shit. More than more than 20 years ago for sure. Uh, Toronto's still getting fried for that. What do you mean we? You're not in Toronto. You're in Ottawa. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh man, I'm hearing that feedback you're talking about right now. Hang on a second. Yeah. Holy smokes. My goodness, this is ever bad. It's never been like that before. I wonder what could possibly... Hold on. Yeah, uh, hang on a second. How about, how about now? Is, can you hear the audio feedback now? Is that a problem? Like, how bad is it? Goodness gracious. All right, hang on. Right. It's gone? But I probably sound a lot more distant, don't I? I do? Oh, okay. All right, well, we'll just go with this then. Hold on. Hold on. Can you hear me talk now? Of course you can, because it's no longer, uh, whatever. It's fine. We'll deal with it. It is what it is. We'll deal. Okay, now that that's done, I'm listening through my, my like, my AirPods, mm-hmm. and I'm hearing you through that, and you sound great. All right, perfect. Well, we'll just go oh, with this. Good. Yep. Yep. All right. So now that we've dealt we've dealt with our our, our uh, biweekly audio problems, mm-hmm. we can move on to our uh, daily uh, infrastructure problems, namely just any time it snows. Yeah. So I think we should start off with just a sort of a critical analysis of uh, Dougie's uh, just his form. So if right. you know, we had, we had a lot, lot, a lot of snow. I think like right. record breaking snowfall uh, on Monday right. over Sunday night. Um, yeah. So Doug Ford thought it was a civic duty. And good on him. If, if like that's he should be doing that, going out and rescuing people supposedly from stuck cars, cars and snowbanks, the like. And this video, uh, apparently Richard Southern from City News got this video of uh, Ford helping to dig out a stranded motorist. I'll just give that a, a quick watch. All right. What is this? A snow shovel. <laughs> Okay, so, I mean, in the call-in room, you wouldn't be able to hear it, but what's happening is that uh, Doug Ford is, like, leaning over, and he's not shuffling the snow. He's sort of, like, scraping it the way that you would hear, uh, the way the way that you would, the way that you would watch somebody, like, I don't know, like, uh, scrape a windshield with uh, the backside of a, uh, of a windshield brush. This is your. This is like you and your brothers have been sent out to shovel the driveway, and this right. is your little brother's contribution, just sort of moving snow around. Um, like the guy behind him in the hat is doing way more for any sort of uh, like to sort of dig this person out. Yeah, uh, and like it wasn't just that. Like apparently he was driving around picking people up, um, and also doing interviews. While driving. While driving, he was doing it. Was it CP24 that he was on yeah. FaceTime with? You're not allowed yeah. to do that. You can't no. do a video call while you're driving. And he was broadcasting this to all of Ontario. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And if you want to play the video, I'll, I'll uh, pipe it into the, uh, the call-in room. Yeah. CP24. They don't, even, I don't, they don't even mention it. As far no. As, as so far nothing as about it. No. Hey, and don't, don't forget, uh, David Sucknacki, uh, who was the mayoral candidate um, alongside John Tory, in 2014 uh david sucknacki was caught by a reporter uh checking his phone while he was driving and reprimanded for it you know he ended up having to 
make a public apology. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like, also, so, sh- shout yeah. out Silver for the part, rate of nine. Thank you very much. Very, very, very uh, appreciative. But, you know, it, well, because who, who is, it was it Alberta, Jason Kenney's, uh, who's his minister that is just getting done up for sort of, it was, I think it was a speeding ticket, and he called up, like, the chief of police to try and get it, like, negotiated. It's like, these are the only, this is, driving. Basically, yeah, we've played by two different sets of rules. Yeah. yeah. But the one time where you can almost, almost hope for uh, elected officials to maybe get to see some sort of, like, held responsible is when they're just absolutely like being a menace on the road. Right. It's one of the few times you get to see it, but even then. Right. All right. We'll just play this real quick because it's less than a minute long. It's excruciating. We're getting some audio screech. Oh, we're getting. Oh, we got audio screech again. Oh my god. Oh no. All right, we're we're gonna. All right, I'm not gonna do that again. How the hell? Okay. Oh, by the way, Stu, you're not you're not unmuted on Colin. Oh my god. Okay. This <laughs> this has just been fantastic audio. <laughs> I know. <laughs> So my whole explanation, so this is the Mr. Burns episode. Mr. Burns is visiting Lisa Simpson. Why do you have the energy of a runaway train? Your campaign is so great. Right. So he's basically talking to Doug Ford saying, like, you're an army of one. What have you been doing? I know. And it, like, it, there's, there's the little bit of start because it's all, he's doing, he's become his ultimate form, which is. White guy ranting into his front-facing camera from the front seat of the car. <laughs> yeah, That's... he's basically he's basically the manga dude. All he's missing is the uh, the Oakley sunglasses. Yeah, yeah, and just and to be somehow mad about at AOC for some reason. That's right. the only thing that's missing. Yeah, it's and I think and calling Biden a communist. Yes, yes, and yelling "Let's go, Brandon." Um, he was he was and he was he picked up a dude. Um, and he got in trouble. People were criticizing him because he was just driving, like apparently picking people up, driving around, and taking selfies. None of them were wearing masks, which is grand scheme of things. It's like, yeah, I'm breaking that rule again. But on top of all, in just a sea of cringe, that was just a day long photo op that the uh, Canadian media, or at least Toronto media, was all too um, willing to participate in and help with. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was it's it was hard to really pick which was the worst thing that they did, or which like which. But the one thing that someone pointed out, I don't know how uh, true this is because it's all just speculation. But all of these images and videos were supplied to CTV News and all these news channels by uh, the premier spokesperson of Annie Yellick. Right. So the next thing I want to draw your attention to. Is uh, it's somewhere right here? There it is. So there's 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 Dougie. There's that uh, yellowish orange hatted gentleman who we saw digging out uh, of the car. And supposedly this is the car right. that he was helping dig out. Mm-hmm. See this lady right here? Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know who that is. Yeah, this is uh, this is PR person. Yeah, the person who supplied the photos. Yeah. So and news media like ran it uncritically. That was her car. That was her car. That was her car? 
They're, well, they're, they were saying this. It was this person's car that was being dug out. So the suggestion is, is that her? No. So wait, that was his spokesperson's car that they were digging out for a photo op? Are you fucking kidding me? Yes. Well, that's the suggestion. And he was doing it the wrong way. Yeah. Oh, my uh, God. Just, now we're gone on Twitch. Are you kidding me? We're gone on Twitch? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Um, oh, if you back. refresh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. if you there refresh, it should. Okay. Yeah. You so know. this is, yeah. So the, this, the, 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 the thing that is being suggested is, and you have to take a good look at this lady. And then, and that's the, the suggestion. It's like, is that her? Yeah, that's her. That is 100% the same person. That's my, that's, that's my thoughts. It's, uh, it's, I don't know how they just all went around, around with it. Uh, is it just laziness? And they're like, well, we want a snow day too. And we'll just, it'll be something easy to cover. Uh, yeah. They, what they wanted was to turn snow day into a photo op. I mean, what would they be mm-hmm. without that? Don't you remember, um, back in the early days of his premiership when, um, news media would go to the pressers, like they would have the, uh, the pressers at Queens park mm-hmm. and behind the media scrum, there was his staffers and everything that every time he finished a sentence, they would start clapping. Like there would be applause. Yeah. And finally, Colin DeMello got pissed off enough that he turned around and he was like, could you stop? This is a professional environment. And they actually listened to him for a moment. They were like, oh shit. Like we, we actually pissed somebody off. We pissed off an adult. And then mm-hmm. they must've gotten like a lecture in the back room or something because they came back again two or three days later and they started doing the applause thing again. And they wouldn't listen to any of the journals who were like, Hey, could you please stop doing that? Like, we're actually trying to ask the premier questions. So everything, like everything about this administration, is a hundred percent staged. And what I mean, it doesn't shock me, but he's very good at those. He's very good at doing the everyman, like yeah, yeah. But of. they play into it so quickly. Mm-hmm. Like it's yeah. it's not like they don't know who this guy is. They've been dealing with him since he was at Toronto City Hall. That was back in two thousand what eleven or something. Two thousand yeah. no, sorry, two thousand ten. 2010, he was in the mayor's office because 2014 was the election. So they were dealing with the guy. They've been dealing with him for almost 10 years. He's a known quantity. They, they, they act like they don't what know what to what expect. Yeah. Playing them. Yeah. Uh, and like, to be fair, uh, they probably know how, like, how best to, like, to play these reporters. Because Brian Lilly is still like one of the, the top people covering the, the, the Ford administration. And right. he's living with Yellick. They're they're like they're dating or I think I don't think they're just dating but it, mm. and it's like that he's just still allowed to cover uh, uh, Ford's administration you know, that's not an issue right. uh, but like, he's probably just like well just you do these things and because I I could probably tell you with a lot of these they got all of this stuff sent to them all these videos all these photos probably a, a quick blurb so the write up and doing the story for them. On uh, on, I, was it was Tuesday or Monday? Monday this happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was probably just too easy for him. Just throw it right up, and you not think twice about it. And it's I think that uh, there's uh, that hashtag uh, can- Canadian me- media failures um, right. that was trending yesterday. And it's it's it what I think there's a lot of people uh, like attributing to like sort of malice, and I think it's just sort of laziness, and no one really questioning just basically a pre-written story that uh the ford uh government just sent out to uh news organizations just landed in their lap acting like it's a surprise every single time that they get played right Mm -hmm. so like and and then you know i was watching i wasn't watching really the news this week i was just so busy with so much other stuff that i didn't have time to be watching local news and, and seeing how all this is playing out but from what i saw 
if their tweets were in the indication, like every single major major news agency in Toronto, at the very least, I'm not sure what it was like, like out in the rest of Ontario, but in Toronto, they were totally playing into this. Mm-hmm. Well, because you said Chris DeMello. Uh, Colin DeMello. Like he, yeah. Colin DeMello, sorry. He was one of the first guys to tweet. It was like in uh, the call, uh, Doug Ford. I want to find it because he was like, uh, new Doug Ford out uh, rescuing passengers, uh, defeating the Joker, uh, uh, saving little puppies. It, it was, it, it's like, okay, yeah. have you, did you see this happen? Or did someone just text this to you to say that's what's happening? And you just uncritically reported it. That's pretty much what happens. Like they've been uncritically as much as adversarial as they would like to appear against Doug Ford, the Ford administration in general. So people like Stephen Lynch, uh, back when, um, oh my gosh, I forgot another name, uh, Lisa McLeod, when she was uh, minister of health, like they acted like they were so adversarial towards this administration. And yet every time they try to do something to save face with a PR stunt, they act like they don't know it's a PR stunt. Mm-hmm. So they, uh, they sort of alternate between false opposition and his PR agency. Yeah, well, because uh, you feel half the time that that false opposition is just them trying to cover their ass from the last time they got bamboozled, quote-unquote, by his obvious uh, PR stunt. Right. And possibly one of the reasons why Ford is trying to do this very desperate and obvious PR stunt is he's, like, got, like, his approval rating is a third of Ontarians. Mm-hmm. It's like he's around where Wynne was when she was defeated. Right. I think it's lower, possibly. Yeah, well, geez, I'm not going to be surprised if he wins another term. Really? Yeah. I my my guess is that there. Where are the polls right now? Uh oh, I don't know where the polling is at. I because I was looking at just his sort of approval rating, mm-hmm. but I was thinking, like, I don't my my. It's not so much that I don't. Oh, really well, you're not going to like this. You are not going to like this. Oh, Hang shit. on a second. Uh, yeah, let me screen share this with you. Uh, CBC News uh, released a poll. Uh, by Abacus Data, you know, and Abacus has been fairly consistent. Um, not, I mean, mm-hmm. any polling agency in Canada is always going to have like a degree of of error, right? Like, it, our polling agencies are much less precise than U.S. polling agencies by a long shot. But at the, at, this is all we have to go on. Uh, so, polling conducted last week by Abacus Data finds thirty seven percent of respondents supporting Ford and the Ontario PC Party. 28% favors the Ontario Liberals under Stephen Del Duca and 25% backing Andrea Horvath's NDP. If you look at the PCs and you're looking at this number right now, you're feeling pretty good, I think. Say David, David Coletto, CEO of Abacus Data. The vote is split between the Liberals and the NDP, allowing the Tories to go up the middle pretty easily. Unless one of these two parties is able to consolidate much more of that vote, the Tories are going to continue to be in the driver's seat as they get closer to the spring and the June 2nd election. I can't believe... That that towering example of charisma, Stephen Del Duca is not doing better because that's all, that's the thing. It's like no matter how bad you think Doug Ford is doing, you still have to take Stephen Del Duca is such is. an idiot. Just I I don't know, just a, a charisma void, and he's he he talks, he looks, he acts like your typical like Bay Street corporate liberal lackey. There's nothing. I I don't know. I don't know what they were thinking during the um, during the uh, the Ontario leadership race. I, I I know he spent a hell of a lot of money, um, and I know that he had a lot of establishment backers behind him. 
And I'm not just saying this because he's my friend or somebody that I consider a friend, but I'm saying this because I think he could have legitimately been uh, a threat to Doug Ford and what Doug Ford stands for. But uh, Michael Coteau, um, who uh, previously headed up the um, uh, the anti-racism directorate in the Kathleen Wynne government, and is somebody that I think has been a strong neighborhood advocate in the Don Valley area for a very long time. Like it's you know it's been well over a decade of his uh, of his work. But uh, yeah, I think that Michael Coteau would have been a very good. I'm not doing anti-Italian <laughs> racism. Okay, I did anti-Italian racism last night on the Log Off Already channel. Uh, because we had a Calabrian on the show, uh, Bianca Rosa, shout out to Bianca. Uh, we had a Calabrian on the show last night, and we were going back and forth and flaming each other. But the agreement that we came to was that Italians that came to Canada in like the 1970s alongside the Jamaicans, you know, they didn't exercise solidarity. They all fucked off to Woodbridge and then acted like they were better than the rest of us. And like... They they sat next to each other on the plane right over here. You know they were they had adjoining cabins on the same boat. The fuck you acting like like you're better than us? Are you kidding me? And they're like the same color, like the southern Italians who are like for the most part like Sicilian and whatever. They're North African themselves. Like they they have probably the same admixture of African DNA and everything. And they get here and they act like they're Italian Italians. You know what I'm saying. So just, I will engage in anti-Italian racism. They deserve it. Just, just reminded me of the probably one of the funniest scenes in all of television when Tony Soprano, after he's met his daughter's, uh, like I think boyfriend, yeah, yeah, boyfriend, yeah. and sees he's like, "Hey, Uncle Ben, Uncle Ben's, yeah, and just has a goddamn stroke." Yeah, <laughs> I remember that. So um, yeah, and, and Metal was uh, she. She hated him for that entire season. You know, you would think that anybody who watched The Sopranos would, I don't know, search inside their heart and realize, like, hey, wait a second, this could happen to me too. But no, you think the Woodbridge Italians learned from that example? No, they did not. You know, they're off. They're off uh, killing pharmaceutical executives. You know, Barry and Honey Sherman. Shout to the Shermans. Did you, by the way, yeah. see the story in the Toronto Star? Uh, yeah. The investigative story by Kevin Donovan. Is that Barry, wait. Look, when Barry and Honey Sherman were found, they the police said it was a possible murder suicide. Is what mm-hmm. the police said, right? I mean, Originally. they couldn't get to the bottom of like who killed them and why. They the state of their bodies was such that you know it was a mob murder. And like there's these like there's these these uh realities that exist in Toronto neighborhoods that media can't necessarily report about because it's like, well, if it's not true, we're going to have egg on our face, but it's like, we all know it's true. Right. So like Doug Ford being a hash dealer, like a prolific hash dealer, he was, he was moving bricks, you know, back, back, back in when he was in high school. Uh, Everybody knows that like the Ford family were drug dealers, but nobody could talk about it openly because you do that. You're in danger of a slap lawsuit and you have to like be able to show your sources, but you it's just substantiate it. But it's a known quantity yeah. in the neighborhood. Like where I grew up, we knew the Ford family. Like they were they were moving that way, right? It's the same thing with the Shermans. If you live in like around the north side of Toronto, you know that uh, the people. So they were they were the um, owners of Apotex, if I'm if I'm mm-hmm. not mistaken, right? The the Shermans. We the Apotex. Um, factory is actually right behind my grandmother's house like a the backyard of the apotex factory faces my grandmother's backyard you know what i mean 
uh, we knew from the app, the Apotex owners that they were mobbed up and a story by, uh, Kevin Donovan, uh, who along with Robin Doolittle helped break the story about, uh, Rob Ford's, uh, crack addiction, uh, headline that shows up in the Toronto star this morning that Barry Sherman owed $1 billion and was not going to pay yeah, to, to a billion dollars with a B. A B. Who did he, yeah, well, because he had lost. Who he had lost would a he bunch owe of... a billion dollars to? Who do you think he owed a billion dollars to? Right, he owed a billion dollars to whether companies had no intention of paying. It says, um, I can uh, hang on a second. I have a Toronto Star account. I can get past this paywall. I don't know what the hell is going on here. Oh, I'm going to stop. I've got it. I've got it up already. Okay, I'm going to stop the screen sharing for a second. But yeah. Um, but you get the idea, right? Like there's these stories that we can't necessarily report, but we know this is all true. Yeah. And yeah. You, it's sort of you, with some of these things, it's what is reported. You can sort of fill in a lot of the blanks. Be, they may not have been able to report it, but because they reported other things, you can make the connective tissue like, well, right. Like the thing with the billion dollars, he owed a billion dollars and he wasn't planning on paying it back. You mm-hmm. can go, okay, I can think of multiple reasons why that's a bad idea. It's that, How the that fuck old... are you, if you owe a bill, if there is a, if your accountant is uh, looking in your books and in the liabilities column, and this is net, by the way, this is net. So this is over top of whatever sort of profits and uh, assets and everything else. If your net worth is in the minus let's say a hundred thousand as the owner of a pharmaceuticals company, you'd be all right. Uh, if you were like a million dollars in debt, you might be in a little bit of trouble. If you were a billion dollars in debt, you are, you are so dead. They are yeah. going to, they're going to take like six, seven different hits out on you. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, uh, uh, we, we knew that it was a mob. We knew that it was like a mob related assassination, like from jump. We were saying that like two days later, and it took the, I mean, again, you have to do your homework in order to report it in a major paper like the Toronto Star, but we knew, like, it's just, just confirming what was already a known quantity. Yeah, it's, it's that old, for, uh, say it's like, if, if I owe you $100,000, I have a problem. If I owe right. you a million dollars, that's you the bank's problem. problem. Yeah. If I you owe a billion dollars, dollars a whole you and your whole family. Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You, your family, all your associates, everybody that you know, your entire network, they're going to have to start like dissociating from you to make sure that they don't catch the flash damage. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's, it's like, it's, it's the, the human brain can very, it's very hard for the human brain to even quantify how much a billion dollars is. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's it that you you it, things are going even if you owe a billion dollars to like some to a bank on in a like a legal just uh legitimate if you owe way, a billion first of all I the would bank wouldn't let scared. you be a billion dollars behind exactly yeah if I owed a billion dollars to like the bank of Nova Scotia okay <laughs> I would expect that my assassins are going to come in with some fucking Scotian accents <laughs> like. You know, my, my my wife and kids are getting tied up in the basement. All right, so what I'm going to do is uh, bound your hands behind your back, hey? You know, yep. so um, I need, I'm going to need you to lie, lie down on the floor face down. Like, that, That um, unfortunately, uh, it's going to be a whole bunch of, like, there's going to be a black fan that pulls up to my front yard, and a bunch of Steve Doors are going to jump out. 
Yeah, a you bunch know? of uh, yeah, a bunch of the that like a bunch of lobster trawlers. Gonna, yeah, the seal hunters are going to show up. and You're like, oh fuck! <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Not gonna be, they've got the, yeah, with the with the hooks and everything. Yeah, yeah, they got clubs and they've got the sheets from Dexter. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't want I don't want to make a joke out of it. Like, I don't want to laugh, but it's funny to me that it's just confirming what we already knew. But anyway, back to the Doug Ford administration. Like, yeah, I just whatever. Um, yeah, until it's, I, you it's read that, me that. Is that yeah. men looking at a butterfly meme, you know, where the man is Canadian journalists or Ontarian journalists, the butterfly is Doug Ford pulling a photo Obvious op. PR stuff. And the question is, is this journalism? Yeah. Yeah. Is this public service? Yeah. He's, yeah. he's, he's helping his fellow man. Well, is he? Is he though? Did, yeah. Yeah. Did, is it, it, did he just, is it, do you ever question the fact that every time Doug Ford happens to be helping his fellow man, it's always perfectly lined up with the camera exactly they never they never get a bad shot when you do it well i saw a tweet that go out in the morning and it said that you know premier doug ford is out helping uh ontario's um get their cars unstuck like shoveling uh digging cars out of this yeah and i'm like i don't need him out on the streets i need plows i need more plows on the streets is what's necessary Mm -hmm. and it was like we we knew about four days ahead of time that we were having that snowstorm. Like we knew Not that snowstorm was coming. No, it didn't come out of nowhere. There was like a, we're in the middle of a polar vortex once again. Yeah. You know, this happens every single year, sometimes two, three times a year. So yeah. I, it's whatever. Yeah. He's uh, out there with his little like shovel for ants. And then there's like <laughs> actual buses. He had like a kid's abandoned on the side of the road. He had a kid's like sandcastle shovel. This is like, this is what you would take down to the beach and give to your daughter to build mm-hmm. sandcastles with. And that's what he was trying to dig cars out with. It's an emergency shovel that you would probably have in the back of your car. In if case your car you... ran off the road or something or got stuck in a snowbank. Yeah. You know, if you're going out to help people, you take an actual a shovel. large shovel. That, and he drives an SUV, so you know it can fit in his vehicle. Mm-hmm. I tried or the same chains. size you SUV he does. If, yeah, right. I've got a three row vehicle. I've got a, a three row Hyundai Palisade because I got I got kids and people to cart around with me, right? Um, mm-hmm. But it, if I put the seats down, a, a regular size, like a regulation size uh, driveway shovel, can fit into it easily with room to spare. So how the fuck didn't like did he not think, or couldn't he just like send a, a staffer out to Canadian Tire or something to get one? No, he he takes his emergency shovel and he's driving, he's humping around, uh, the Toronto area. I guess digging his own staffer out of a snowbank. Yeah, here's the thing: she might have actually gotten stuck. <laughs> Maybe and he I don't was know. Just like I, and then they turned it into a uh, like yeah. a, like they recycled it into an actual. <laughs> I don't know, man. This is all a joke to me. But anyway, you know, so there's that. Um, Yeah, shout out to Doug Ford. Shout out to the staffers. Shout out to Ontario News Media falling for it yet again. Mm -hmm. The only guy, I think, who... He can't keep uh, getting away with this. Yeah, the only guy who had a good take on Canadian media was shout out to Sid Sixero on uh, Breakfast Television. Mm He was the only dude who just immediately was not buying it. Uh, Uh, And I think think they'd like... What are you saying? Uh, I have it here. It's it's okay. a little bit longer, but I was about uh, to go pull it up. But you go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Pull uh, pull that video up, Jamie. <laughs> all right, I got it right here. How many pics of Ford and blackface have come out? None. There was just video None. of his brother imitating my culture's accent terribly. How many and pics Doug, of Ford and, and blackface have come out? Zero. Which, He's smarter than which that. Which one was was the one? The video of them actually smoking crack. It was the other brother, right? 
It was Rob. Yeah, so I was saying, yeah, like, yeah. no, no, but I didn't say Doug was imitating Patois terribly. It was Rob who's doing that. Doug, mm-hmm. People act like, okay, the, here's what I don't like, is when people act like Doug and Rob Ford were Tweedledum and Tweedledummer, Doug Ford is not a stupid man. He's no. not. by any. He's a smart dude. Like, I don't like him. Um, the few times that we have met face-to-face, he, I mean, the first time that we met face-to-face, he, like, tried to stare a hole through me, but when whenever you see each other face to face like it's just very well established we don't like each other we're never going to like each other and if the cameras weren't around i'd probably spit in his fucking face right but i will give him credit for being savvy at least he's not a stupid man like it, people act like he it, this like continuous like locking down then in reopening then these half measures uh putting kids back in schools and then taking them out of schools not spending uh the amount of money that was allotted by the federal government for um for emergency health services the continuing to close down of hospital beds the uh dooming old people to die in senior care facilities they act like all of that was the result of incompetence it's like no He's a smart dude. He's just a fucking evil human being. And what he's going to be able to do in the run up to this election is that he's going to say that out of all provinces, Ontario had the largest, I wouldn't even say a surplus, had the smallest deficit. Let's go with that, right? That mm-hmm. uh, that Ontario is in the best financial shape um, going into this election out of every canadian province and territory which we are we are in very good shape well that's that's because all the federal subsidies that we got we didn't spend the money that we were supposed to that and but people won't they don't care about that they don't care about the tens of thousands of people who've died they don't care about the fact that our hospitals are at capacity they don't care about like the uh the high unemployment rates the gig workers suffering the break uh the uh the covid breakouts in the amazon fulfillments they don't care about none of that they care about his fiscal message, which is that Ontario is financially fit going into this election. And that's why he's going to end up winning again. I, a friend of mine tweeted that, you know, if uh, this um, Trump imitator, this, that, and the third, if he ends up winning again, she's going to take her little squirrel hands and dig a hole all the way to the center of the earth. And I'm like, I will, I will lend you a shovel and a canteen of water because he's going to win, unfortunately, you know? My my thoughts were that if his like if because uh, oh I hadn't seen the like the the party polling like, right. head to head I was just seeing his approval rating and I'm like I right. think that that would that was going to be their sort of hail mary that if it got bad enough then that no right he, the thing the election, is in okay if the Ontario Liberal Party and the Ontario NDP were remotely competent the name Ford would be radioactive, especially after it came out that he knew what was happening in those senior care facilities and doomed those people to die and tried. Wait, I'm not sure if the law passed or not. Um, I'm, I'm having a hard time with this one that uh, he was at, t- at least at the very least was trying to pass the law. I don't know if it passed uh, to shield the private senior care facilities from lawsuits if it can oh, yeah. be shown that they didn't intend to kill people like if it wasn't a purposeful act of if it was like benign negligence then it's okay mm-hmm. if they were trying to kill people then it's not okay and which like what what yeah, corporate as as lawyer is going to respond to a lawsuit and say oh yeah we meant to kill those geezers we we wanted them to die you know we're we're trying to like push people off of the social insurance payroll that's what we're trying to do like give your head a shake uh the fact that he was able to do that and his name is not dirt like lower than dirt the fact that he's not radioactive 
shows the utter incompetence of the opposition parties. Because any competent opposition party would never let Ontarians forget that this man killed your grandmother and grandfather. Right? The privatization of Ontario senior care facilities, which happened under Mike Harris and continued to happen under Kathleen Wynne, was it, the chickens came home to roost under the Ford government. And when he knew those people were dying because they were having outbreaks in their facilities. And if you read, like, read the report um, by the, uh, so the Canadian forces actually ended up getting called in to assist with these senior care facilities. And they released a report and it is fucking wretched. Like old people who were abandoned to die in their own urine and feces that they were throwing up on themselves and nobody was coming to clean them, that they had bed sores. They hadn't been turned over in 12 hours. Some of them were starving. And none of these senior care facilities are going to see a courtroom. Nobody is responsible for this. That happened under Ford's watch. So the fact that the opposition parties haven't held, like they haven't pinned this around his neck and he's going mm-hmm. to win another election is not, that's not damning on Ford. He's doing exactly what he's supposed to do, which is acting on behalf of his uh, corporate buddies. He's acting on behalf of the senior care facilities, many of whom have board members and executives that have been MPs and even a previous leader of the Conservative Party of the Ontario, uh, the PC, the Progressive Conservative Party of Ontario. Mike Harris was on the board of directors for one of those senior yeah. care facilities, right? Uh, and none of them are going to see a day in court ever. No. But he's doing what he's supposed to do. He's acting on behalf of his donors, his constituency. It's the opposition that's supposed to make the case that this man actually killed people. Turn the blind eye to your grandmother and grandfather dying in their beds, miserable and alone, while they're being locked down and could not have any visitors. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they haven't been able to do that shows like their utter incompetence and unfitness for the task. So yeah, Ontario is about to enter another four long ass years. It, 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 it's it, after the the past two years of the pandemic. It's it, it, it's absolutely embarrassing mm-hmm. to be polling so far behind Doubt Four. Oh yeah, it's it's, it's uh, I I can't you it's such I can't fathom how stupid you have to be to have somebody like this as premier and you your polling numbers are what twenty eight and twenty five percent you yeah. the official opposition and like he had the police okay. carting and, children playing Andrea, basketball. In how many elections does Andrea Horvath have to lose? How many times does she absolutely have to fall flat on her fucking face? For the Ontario NDP to be like, we need to conduct a leadership review and maybe we should go with somebody else. How long has she been the leader of this party? As, I mean, uh, hang on, let me go look this up. Andrea yeah, just do that. Horvath, leader of NDP party. Okay. It's been a while. She's been uh, serving since 2009. Wait. Oh, no, yeah, just the opposition. Sorry. Duh, duh. Yeah. The wrong thing. 2009. That's. It's been 13 years. So the leadership convention, which was, I remember um, it was like later in, it was was in the spring of 2009. I remember that. All right. So I think probably around like March, April, it will be 13 years. And in the 13 years, they have risen to the opposition twice, right? So they are the opposition to the liberals under, um, not Kathleen Wynne, under uh, Dalton McGinty. Mm -hmm. They're the opposition to the liberals under Dalton McGinty and the opposition to the conservatives under Ford. What have they done to capitalize on that? Anytime that they've been the opposition, have they been able to capitalize? No. The following election, they get shellacked by the liberals. 
because they're in, they're in, they're impotent and incompetent. Yeah. I, and I think, I think that the old, when, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. The, just with, I think the benefits and uh, uh, Meat's going to get some uh, splash here. But I think I was just going to mention him because he's the, the deputy the, leader of the NDP under Horvath, and a yeah, lot of people saw him as the successor. Lower. Yeah. The, the standards are lower. Like if you're a, if you're a leader of the conservative or the liberal liberal party, and you don't you you would have to continue to win for thirteen years to right. be the leader for that long. But right. because you're the leader of the NDP, no one really expects that much for you. So just yeah. becoming the opposition is enough to buoy 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 you for a couple of uh, buoy uh, like buoy yeah yeah yeah. yeah. Well, you know, unfortunately. I mean, yeah, yeah. are you gonna do it, right? And I don't know why, because well, but who's the, yeah? Because that's that's the thing you were thinking about. Uh, Jack Meat's thing as the 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 person to take. Yeah, over. here's the the deputy NDP. Who yeah. else is there? To, who would who would you say? Uh, there but, is? Butila Porsche, I think, has been fairly outspoken. I think she would make a very good candidate, even though uh, she was named. I'm pretty sure it was by passage, um, as the list of NDP. MPs and MPPs that are also landlords. I'm pretty sure Butila Karposh is also a landlord. I'm, I'll, I'll double check that just to make sure, but I'm almost positive she came up on the list. Mm-hmm. Right. That's it. Yeah. And All right. yeah. And she's also like, uh, because there is a fairly uh, substantial Tibetan Canadian community um, in the Parkdale area. Um, many of them are like, um, they're, so you know, the Ontario food terminal, Mm-hmm. You know where that is, right? Like near, it's, it's by the lakeshore. Yeah. And a lot of people in the Parkdale area work at the Ontario Food Terminal. Um, yeah, many of uh, those workers are of the Tibetan community. And, you know, there are people that are very outspoken in the Tibetan community about, um, you know, war crimes, crimes against humanity that China is engaged in. And also have, like, teamed up, in a sense, with people from the Uyghur community to like paint China as this, like this, uh, horrendous, uh, tyrannical dictatorship. And, you know, Karposh is part of that coalition, but that's sort of like a niche thing, right? Like that's the problem that me, a tanky has a problem with. That's not a, mm-hmm. a thing that most, I think Ontarians really have a problem. Would be, with. Yeah, people, I don't yeah. know if that's a consideration for, cause it's you're, I, I don't, I, cause I'm pretty sure that you'd probably get Horwath would be, uh, or bath, uh, bath with a B. Bath. Bath, yeah, yeah. my my words are not great today. No, they're not uh, coming out properly. What's going on, bro? Like, yeah, know. you need you need like a you need a firmware upgrade. Oh yeah, no, just back at uh, back doing the paper past two weeks, so I had to get back into my sort of uh, yeah. up late Sunday Monday sort of thing. Oh so. yeah, okay, no, I found it. Here we go. So members disclosure statements as of September first, twenty twenty. Member name: Butila Karposh, Parkdale High Park. I'll go ahead and share the screen real quick so that people can see it. Um, but yeah, um, income, uh, salary, legislative assembly of Ontario assets, properties, unit one Bedford road, Toronto, Ontario, hundred percent interest, five student Avenue, Toronto, Ontario, 50% interest. So she's a co-owner with somebody else, right? Um, yeah. investments and registered accounts, blah, blah, blah. Okay, fine. We don't need to see her like stocks and shares or whatever. That's no big deal. Uh, but she, yeah, she got the mortgage, but yeah, she's got, uh, she's got, looks like two income properties. If you vote cannabis, I'm going to go by the. <laughs> well the thing is like i have i have been following um mp and mpp uh stock holdings for quite a long time you'd be surprised actually at how terrible um either their financial advisors 
the financial advisors are giving them bad advice or they themselves are terrible money managers. But um, you know how in the U.S. you can generally follow the money? Like you can mm -hmm. look at your state or federal representatives' uh, stock holdings and you can mimic their holdings and pull a decent return. But yeah. uh, for MP MPs and MPPs, they're actually very terrible at it. Um, oh, and also like, so, but the, actually, here's something that you should pay attention to. Okay, so she's got shares in Vivo Cannabis, Toronto Dominion Bank, Enridge, blah, blah, blah. Smart Centers REIT. So you know what a real estate investment trust is, right? Yeah. Right. So if somebody has shares not only in properties, but also in a REIT, that's also a bit of a red flag because, lo and behold, she is out here shilling housing <laughs> for all. <laughs> mm. Oh. I mean, I mean, yeah, yeah, but I mean, that aside, okay, but putting those considerations aside, I think she would be a fairly decent um, candidate for party leader. Yeah, no, I, putting that, those aside. Yeah, those are, those are your very, like, I, I, we, it would be right. very hard for anyone to be in the NDP and get to the point of being uh, in a leadership position where I could ask you, hey. Do you like all of their positions, and you would give them a clean uh, bill of health? It's, right. There's also yeah. um, there's also Goratan Singh, uh, who mm -hmm. is Jagmeet Singh's brother. Um, he's fairly outspoken, although I think he might be a bit too brash uh, to um, to function well as a party leader. But he's that would he's a bit of an asshole. If, yeah. Even if it wasn't the Singhs, it would be that would be so. Uh, having a like a it, federal party leader yeah. and the and provincial a, party leader, party leader. Brothers. um i mean let's see is it on, i don't know if it's unprecedented in canadian history but it is very Probably much in not, line but. but it is very much in line with like ontario dynastic politics like we really do like we like an aristocracy of sorts we enjoy mm -hmm. it right the fact that like Rob, yeah, Rob Ford was the mayor of Toronto. Doug Ford came very close to winning the mayorship of Toronto. Uh, if it was like Doug Ford versus um, Olivia Chow, Ch Ford would have just like stomped all over her. Like he would have in a landslide victory. Um, and, you know, when he put his hat in the ring uh, to run for the leadership of the Conservative Party, the moment that he entered, I was like, I absolutely, first of all, I know that he's going to, he's going to gut Patrick Brown. And that's exactly what happened immediately brown was eviscerated right mm -hmm. the moment doug ford showed an interest in running for leader of the uh, pc party of ontario it was it was, it, it was it was it was just knives are out but it was like a done deal that something was going to come out about patrick brown because the thing is people actually liked him right people liked that he he embodied the progressive conservative sort of um values so prior to mike harris the PC party of Ontario was actually very close to governing in a liberal fashion. Like, for example, the Ontario Human Rights Commission was actually a PC initiative. Um, integration of Ontario public spaces, so uh, or public places rather, not public spaces, but public places, i.e. restaurants, shopping malls, retail stores, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it was actually a, a Leslie Frost's government was the government that um, spurred integration, like was willing to enforce uh, integration laws in Ontario. So the PC yeah. party of Ontario for a very long time had actually been, they lived up to the progressive yeah. side of their label. It was Mike Harris that sort of, um, 
he Mike Harris took that reform party energy that was coming from out west and brought it into Ontario. So he he had that like that populist racist retail politics which worked very well here um kicking people off the welfare rolls uh cutting the fat you know uh cutting back government blah 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 the people who hate government and want to show that government doesn't work um trying to introduce a two-tiered healthcare system all of that shit that that was the mike harris government and i think people have this idea that mike harris like the history of the progressive conservative party of ontario starts with Mike Harris and has always been like Mike Harris, and it hasn't. So when Patrick Brown ran for leadership and won, which I thought was fairly impressive, especially because his, his predecessor was uh, Tim Hudak, um, when he ended up winning, I was, uh, I, I mean, a little bit surprised and also a tiny bit encouraged. Like, do I think he's a good person? Uh, not necessarily. Um, although I would say, like, we have sat on panels together, and he's a pleasant person to be around. But um, he's also somebody who believes in, like, Everything from embracing like same-sex marriage and relationships and equal rights and being able to like, I'm pretty sure I'll have to go back and double check this one, but I'm pretty sure that he was also for like making it easier for um, young trans women to get the necessary like uh, psychology or psychiatrist go ahead to transition. Uh, He was tolerant, not only tolerant, but also very embracing of like different communities in Ontario. So he was very popular actually in the Muslim community. Um, very popular among South Asians, et cetera, because like he, he knows how to do retail politics, but in such a way that people get that this is somebody who's like friendly to the community, not just like, hey, I'll acknowledge the community exists, but only like your conservative, like business owner class, but everybody. So he was very much on the ball with that. And it was just antithetical to the Ford method of retail politics. So the moment that Ford indicated that he was interested in running for the leadership, um, I knew right away that Patrick Brown was going to uh, face a leadership challenge. What I didn't anticipate, though, was that, was that there was going to be a scandal that would push him out of office altogether. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that was uh, that was uh, um, not. It, it, it was very it was very strange the way that rolled out. Um, I've heard a, a couple of things about the way it was reported out. Not to say that it that, that it was that the story wasn't true. Yeah. The way that uh, the, the the reporters sort of uh, very quickly put like sent it out was is very unfortunate that they did not handle they, it. They properly. didn't do okay. So like this is not to like oh, I'm going to put this delicately. If the I don't know that you can really question that some inappropriate behavior took place. I will but, say, as someone who grew up in Barry, yeah, uh, who went to a lot of downtown bars. Yeah. And saw Patrick Brown at a lot of downtown bars uh, talking to my friends. Mm-hmm. Um, not that it, it, anything ever ill toward happened, but it's like it's this is the, the, I was going there at the, to the bar with my friends. They're all my age at uh, right. sort of like 18, 19, 20. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there are also adults there. So there's definitely like those interminglings and stuff. So it's not to say that. It, he did go. The, Listen, and then Barry the is, thing is. It's very. Different. Have yeah. you seen Barry's um, another story? What was that? Oh, that show Banshee. Have you watched Banshee? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Banshee rem- reminds me like the town that it takes place in reminds me very yes. much of Barry. Yeah. Yeah. Where it's right. It's like almost. It's almost a scene, on the surface. Then, yeah, yeah, yeah. On the surface, it seems like a normal, like sane city, but there's just like this insane undercurrent of like criminality and deviant behavior. That's yeah. that's what 
Banshee, yeah, Barry is very much like the city in Banshee. Mm-hmm. And it's so it's there's it you it's just I'm I don't doubt that she was at his house. No. But the fact that like some of the story got discredited because the way that it would the house was described in the story didn't mm-hmm. match up with his house. It's like yeah. that's that. Well, the thing is, like I know I know a journalist. Um, actually, somebody who's like very successful and somebody that um I admire quite a bit. Uh, also had a story about like his inappropriateness and she's told me like some of the shit that he used to get up to. So like, I have no doubt that this dude is a fucking scumbag. None whatsoever. What, what the way that it was reported and the way that he ended up getting pushed out of the party, like you knew that the party itself wanted him out. It wasn't like dominoes were a little bit too. Yeah, 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 exactly. Exactly. Right. Like, even okay, you see how many palace coups that the uh, UCP has attempted on Jason Kenny, and you notice that none of them has actually worked, right? Because he does, regardless of how much he's dropped the ball, how much he's bungled, how much he's double talked and reneged on his commitments, both to public health but also to his rich donors. Like he's trying to play both sides of the fence as far as public health goes, and it's really not working out for him. But there is a contingent of the party that still wants him to be the UCP leader. And that's what saving his ass. But Patrick Brown didn't have that. He he uh, he won out in a leadership race among a bunch of conservative, uh, corporatized fucks that have no souls whatsoever. Um, and the problem with him is that even though he's a fucking scumbag, he also does still have a soul. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And yeah, unfortunately, that was that's what was his undoing. Uh, he he doesn't he doesn't play ball very well. Um, it works well in municipal politics. But it doesn't work well in party politics. Uh, party politics at the provincial level. Yeah, and he's mayor of Brampton now. Yeah, well, that's 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 the case in point. When he said that he was going to run for mayor of Brampton, I knew right away he was going to win. Like I, it, he has a very good relationship uh, with the Brampton community. Um, mm-hmm. Coming, you know, coming out of Barry, it's a com- it's a completely different set of circumstances. Barry's a very white city and a very like mom and pop like you know the richest people that you yeah. know own a car dealership kind of city right it's not like yeah. a toronto city where you have like some serious money right you you, you have land de- developers in barry but you don't have like toronto money land developers in barry right so he was smart enough to start re- reaching out and making um business and political contacts in the toronto area and most of the the contacts that he has are in mississauga and brampton he was very smart to start reaching out to the suburbs first because that's where you win Ontario elections. You can have the mm-hmm. Toronto core, but if you're not winning the suburbs, you're simply not winning the election. And he was smart enough to start reaching out to the 905 area immediately. Yeah. Yeah. Very easily bounced back. Anyway. Right. No, we can, yeah, sorry. We, we, we move on to our next topic. I just, yeah. uh, the, the fact that Doug Ford stands, not even stands a chance, but is very likely to win this election is majorly depressing. And, uh, you know, uh, SE and I are having some very serious conversations about where we're going to live next. I don't know if our next home is going to be in Ontario. Um, like where, where I am right now, when we move out, um, my sister and her daughter are going to be living here. Mm-hmm. Um, but where it comes to where we're going next, I have no idea. I, I, I might go out to Alberta for all I know. I mean, because we can work <laughs> from anywhere. Like, yeah. you know, I work, I work in media and I'm a web developer. I can work from anywhere. I work remotely. 100% of my work is done remotely, right? Um, her work is remote as well. She's also a web developer, but she works with a different um, a different language stack than I do. So, uh, like most of the stuff that I work with is back end, and she works on front end. But the 
point, the fact of the matter is we both work remotely. We can work from anywhere. I don't know if I want to stay here in Ontario, to be perfectly honest. Ontario, for all intents and purposes, is very much governed like Alberta. Why the fuck did I just, why would I not just go out there, you know, get a lower mm-hmm. house price, have a house big enough for my children and my possible future children, have like my recording studio, you know, have a little bit of land so I can start my commie takeover of Canada. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be I'll be the one person that's hey listen I've been talking about oh you know I'm gonna move out to like you know like a a log cabin out in the woods somewhere I'm gonna fucking do it you know what I'm saying yeah yeah Yeah. oh hang on a second we got got a caller and I wanna wanna, uh, make sure that Mateo gets a chance to to talk real quick what's up Mateo you can go ahead and unmute yourself I know nothing about Canadian politics Uh, hang on one sec one second I'm gonna make sure that I can hear you and that the audience can hear you as well alright alright you can go ahead um I know nothing about Canadian politics, but I do want to say you should move to the Lakes region of BC. It's really beautiful there. I mean, okay. you know, it's one of the most beautiful places in North America. You can't go wrong. Lakes region um, of BC. All right. I have a housing crisis. Yeah, yeah I've only mean, been you know, up to, yeah. The cuter it gets, the more expensive it'll get, but that's, you know, people pay for a good thing, right? That's the way this world mm-hmm. is supposed to work in terms of markets, whether or not they're ultimately worked. Uh, but, you know, the other, uh, the other, uh, the thing you're kind of touching on, which is a little more serious and interesting, is I think the uh, the big wave in North America is going to be a lot of kind of uh, basically white people self gentrifying, like moving out to like rural, poor white areas, professionals, yeah. and kind of like mm-hmm. changing those communities, and that's going to be a huge mega trend, I think, all over the U.S. and Canada. And it'll probably even, you know, probably even include Mexico in terms of what it means. But that's all I have to offer. I, I know nothing about Canada, so I have no good questions for you. <laughs> no, it's all good. Appreciate that, Mateo. Uh, yeah. So hang on one second here. Yeah. Well, but what he brings up is it's absolutely, I think, already sort of happened. Like it's yeah. right now from there is I there know. is a migration yeah. out of Ontario. Like uh, who was it? I, I think it was um, John McGrath that had had uh, tweeted out um, a graph showing that uh that there is like a great migration happening out of Ontario and it's actually young people leading people that, that basically can't afford to buy a house. Right. Mm-hmm. So I'm lucky enough that we, we have a home, but uh, it was, it was actually like my wife and her mom um, that we were able to like put together money and, and buy this home. Right. So like, yeah, that, you know, we're lucky enough that the, the house is in our name and everything, but we're one of the very lucky few that were able to do that. Her mom is a public servant and like had, had funds available that she was able to help Essie out with uh, the purchase of the house. And then our next home, like obviously we'll be using equity from this home to move into the next one. So we, I mean, we very much had a hand up in, uh, in, in, in being able to not only have a home, but be able to move into a bigger home. But if we move here or move out of here and we stay in Ontario, it's like, well, where are you going to go? To give another example, my mom lives in a house that, uh, she purchased, and it's in the. I'll say it's in the Durham region. I'll say that, right? Like, so it's in the same region that I am. And uh, I think she purchased the home for five hundred thousand dollars, if I remember correctly. It's about forty one hundred square feet. It's a big ass house, right? Um, and so, like, it, you know, her, her, uh, my stepfather is an engineer, and she is a, um, she's a chef that works in like a high end restaurant, right? So they both make pretty decent coin. Their problem is. So the house uh, appreciated in value. They purchased, I believe, in 2000. I want to say it's 2014 or 2015, one of the two. Um, and now the house is valued at, at like $1.1 million. And if they sell that house, they have nowhere to go to. 
it's just like, you can sell the house, but like yeah. everything else is appreciated in value also. So you you are now where you were back then anyway. So uh, the only the only way that you can really get ahead is if you move outside of the province. And the average, I think, appreciation in the last ten years, uh, in terms of like a, a house, like a if you want to call it like a starter house, like a three bedroom house, two bathroom, like a house that's fit for a family, uh, detached, and so on. Back in 2010, would have run you about uh, three fifty to four hundred thousand dollars. That's like the median price in Ontario. And of course, there's like a, a gigantic variance, like a house in Thunder Bay or, or a house in Hamilton is not going to run you the same as a house in downtown Toronto. But that's what you could expect to pay median. Now it's over a million dollars. Who the like? Who has that kind of money? No, it's like it, there's for a lot of young people. Uh, basically. Their parent, they basically have to wait till their parents die before yeah. they can get on the housing on the ladder, or right. hope that their parents, yeah, assuming their parents, their parents have anything have, to leave them. Yeah, yeah, like their parents die and then sell all of their assets and use all of that money to maybe to put get a down equity. payment right. on a small house. But right. yeah, it's it's the the it's it, it yeah you, you sort of have to move out. And where I work in sort of the the Colleen's area, there's been a huge exodus of people coming from especially ottawa because they, they're all sort of they work for the government and stuff so they can just move out to the country uh make sure they have decent enough internet especially with a lot of the work from home and stuff and yeah that's the only thing that is the, the only requirement that we have is that there's like gigabit internet that's pretty much it mm-hmm. yeah right? and that's like, and yeah. It, quebec is doing work by september of this year every person oh tabernak you call it quebec no so i say quebec Quebec. No, I, I Quebec. lean into my my Anglo. Your Anglo. Uh, the more the more I get uh, corrected, the more Anglo I get. Fucking Anglo, uh, yeah. But they're uh, they're supposed to have broadband connected to every household by September 2022. So that right. will completely uh, change the makeup of Quebec. Right. Quebec. 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 Oh my god. Anyway, uh, no, I, I'll probably end up moving out west. I like the mountains. I like the fresh air. I like hunting. I like like doing outdoorsy shit. I like mm-hmm. I like kayaking. You know, uh, like uh, the weirdest thing that I see out here is if you go to like um, if you go like to like the Thousand Island area, or if you go even to like Lake Ontario, or if you go like um, out to what is it, Sobel Beach? That's out by mm-hmm. yeah yeah yeah. So if you if you go to any of those, Wasago Beach. No no, there's also Sobel Beach, right? Yeah. Like, if you if you go out to either of those like uh, you know those coastal areas, uh, you'll see people just like out on the open water in their kayaks, and I'm like, for what? Like, where are you going with the kayak? You're just you're just, just paddling. You're paddling doing a out. straight line. Yeah, you're just paddling out to the middle of the lake and coming back. Like, what are you seeing? Like, what, what you know? It's not the same as like if I you know uh, find like a uh, winding river trail out west. Or even like in the south, like I used to kayak a lot when I lived uh, down south. Like I used to, there was like a um, uh, a river path that led up to Lake Okeechobee in Florida. But there's also like really good kayaking in the Carolinas. There's good kayaking in Georgia and so on. Like just finding like a little like river that you can go down that leads you to a larger body of water, and you get to see like the wildlife. Like I, you know, when I when I would paddle or when I would kayak up to the Okeechobee River, like I would be able to like pet otters as they jumped out of the water. Occasionally, yeah. I, would, I would see a gator, and they would just like say what's up and I would say what's up and we just like, you know, show respect and pass each other by. But I love doing outdoorsy shit. And it's like here I'm just paying all of this money uh, Mm -hmm. and I don't get to do fun outdoorsy shit. I have to go find somewhere else. And you can't, uh, still can't drive 
um, in the Twitch chat said, you can't even find an affordable rental. 100% correct. My sister has been trying to find an affordable rental for the past almost six months. And you know what they asked her for? They've asked her, and I'm not talking about different landlords have asked her for different things, which is about the list. Oh, we can't find an affordable rental in Vancouver. Same as, same as in Ontario, though. Yeah. Same as in Ontario. A single landlord has asked her for um, a pay stub. Okay, that's that's reasonable. A bank statement. Mm-hmm. Check. That was reasonable, except not just a recent bank statement, but a bank statement from six months ago. A pay stub, not just recently, but a pay stub from six months ago, because they want to see that you've had stable employment and uh, you're able to manage your money. Also, they want a reference from your most recent landlord. Stick a pin on that one. How does it? Okay, we'll come back to that. And uh, asked for a um, uh, criminal background check. Why do you need a criminal background check and a credit check also? Why do you yeah. need a criminal background check to live in an apartment? Why? What is? Yeah. Oh, I got asked all of those things. It was it was wild. Why do they need to know what your criminal like? If you if you let's say that you got popped on like I don't know like a shoplifting or some shit, right? Mm-hmm. Or you like got into a drunken brawl outside of a bar. Why do they need to know that? What does that What does that have to do with whether you can pay your rent on time? Yeah. Right. But the whole thing about like uh, the uh, the consistency in income. So offering a pay stub recently, but a pay stub from six months ago also. Well, what if you're one of the unfortunate people that have lost their jobs during the fucking pandemic? And there have been many of us. I lost my job during the pandemic, so I shouldn't be able to rent. Mm-hmm. I, I, I make more now than I ever have. Like I'm going to make more this year than I have before. Does, why would that, why would that have anything to do with my ability to pay rent? Like I have, I'm making more money now than when I had a stable job and it, you could see a pace up and everything. Like, why do you, why do you need to know? The other part is, um, the reference letter. You don't, even if you, if you're applying for another job and you, you're doing an interview and they say, Hey, can we see a reference letter from a previous employer? They don't ask for your last employer. Why? Because if they call your current employer, to find out if you are a, a quality employee, they've now just endangered your job at your current job. Mm-hmm. So if they don't end up picking you up, you're going to be out of a job anyway because they know that you're trying to get out. It's the same thing with the landlord. If you t- if you haven't yet given the landlord your 60 days notice, but you are looking elsewhere and someone calls them up and says, hey, uh, just want to know what kind of uh, tenant is Stu? Uh, is Stu dependable? Is, is Stu somebody that pays rent on time? Does Stu keep the the apartment or house or whatever in an orderly fashion? And this is completely blindsiding that person. Do you think that they're going to react in a positive fashion, or do you think that they're going to try and stab you? You know what I mean? Yeah. And there's and there's no requirement, unlike with a letter of reference from your employer, your employer is required to tell the truth about you. So, like, if there's like disciplinary stuff in your record, then sure they can say that. But if there isn't, then they can't give you a negative reference. They have to tell the truth about what kind of employee you are. So do you have a good record? Do you show up to work on time? Have you been commended for your service? Have you won any awards? Have you gotten promotions at the job? They have to say all of these things. But your current landlord doesn't have to say shit. Even if you paid your rent on time. Sorry. Yeah. Even if you paid your rent on time, they can sabotage you. Be like, oh, no, no, this fucker doesn't never pays me on time. I asked for money on the first and he doesn't get it to me till the 15th. Is he committing a crime? No. Because it's not a, it's it's not supposed to be a legal requirement. No. So anyway, and you wonder you wonder why we have such an issue with like housing and, and homelessness. It's like if you're if you end up on the street, yeah, you literally cannot get it get a get it, even if you had the money. 
Like, yep. how are you supposed to get into a new house? You can't. That's the problem. You if in. you fall through the cracks. Listen, I have, well, we have a mutual friend because you know who this is too. Um, actually, it's, it's fine. I can say her name because she's been very open with this on Twitter about how shitty her landlords are. So uh, Cindy, um, who goes by CL, a realist on uh, Twitter, um, landlord is making her life and the life of all of the people in her apartment building fucking miserable because they're doing, they're, they're doing the war of attrition. You know how this works. Yeah. Is that like yeah. if you want the current – because if your current tenants are paying – um rent that is below what you think the market rate is or ought to be uh if the building was built before a certain year you're subject to market controls and you can't just arbitrarily raise the rate above the market control guidelines so if somebody's paying say $1500 a month for their one bedroom you can't arbitrarily raise it to like $2250 you have to go by the guidelines but somebody new who's moving in there's no obligation to follow those guidelines whatsoever. You can charge them whatever the new amount that you want to charge is. So you can subject them to the current market rates, meaning you you then have an incentive to make your current tenant's life fucking miserable and force them to move out. You're constructively dismissing them from the apartment. And this place that has no soundproofing whatsoever, this place that doesn't even have like insulation between floors. So if you spill a cup of water um, on your hardwood floor, it's going to seep through and uh, drip onto somebody's computer a floor below you like that's they had the um they they rented out one of the units commercially and the uh people that they rented the unit out to was a band and this band plays their music at whatever time of day whatever time of night everybody can hear it and they've it doesn't matter if there's a noise complaint because the noise complaints are not in, noise complaints are not enforceable because uh toronto's wonderful mayor john tory um, accepted a bylaw that says something like this. If somebody calls 311 and 311 comes out to your building to check on the noise complaint, if there's raised voices, that does not qualify as a noise complaint. It's only if there's like music or construction or something of the order. But if there's voices involved, then you cannot uh, take a reading of the noise decibel level. So if there's music, but there's also people shouting along with or over the music, it doesn't count. You can't you can't file it as a complaint. So effectively, there is no noise complaint law. If somebody is having a fucking house party and people are like dancing and whooping along with the music, well, it doesn't count as an actual uh, uh, breaking of the noise by law. And so the the landlord has basically is using this band to make the tenants' lives miserable so that they all move out. I've never had that. Like I've never had a tenant where that was like actively malicious. But yeah. I've had tenants who are renting out, uh, like, apartments and living situations that actively put my life in danger. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. one time I was living, I think it was, like, third or fourth year university, and I got mm-hmm. this, it was, like, a back room, and it looked sick. It had a skylight and had an own uh, entrance to the backyard where there's the parking lot, and I thought this was sick. And then mm-hmm. it got cold. And then I realized it was not insulated properly. Yeah. Basically, it was like a back room. It was like a sunroom, basically. Yeah. Not yeah. supposed to be inhabited over like winter nights. And I did some fucking survivalist shit to get through that winter to try and make the room livable. So, you know, shout, shout to this company. Shout to NJS Capital, which is they don't own the building, but they do. Uh, they're basically like a uh, cons- they're a consultation company for landowners. Right. So for uh, they 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 essentially like advise um, apartment building owners, commercial building owners, REITs, et cetera. And one of their um, one of their services 
is uh, tenant turnover. So hang on one second here. Where was it? Asset management and consulting. Oh, here we go. So tenant turnover management. Huh? What? What? What would, what would be involved in the process of tenant turnover management? Well, shit like this. Shit like finding ways. Rental evictions, basically waging a war of attrition on your tenants so that you can get the current ones out and get new people in that are now subject to the market rates that you want to be able to charge. So the problem is, is that like people seem to believe that when you buy a house that you want to use for rent or when you buy a building that you want to uh, rent out the units, that you are entitled to a certain rate of return that is market the the market rates that are rapidly rising you're entitled to capture all of that so it's not contingent on when you entered the market and what tenants are able to pay in your area it's contingent and 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 you know so if you rent out a unit in 2022 then whatever the guidelines are for raising your rent in 2023 24 25 etc like you are supposed to be able to capture the raise of rents along those guidelines, but what that's not what they want. They want to be able to capture the, the um, unit appreciation value according to what it is that brand new tenant is willing to rent it for. So in order to capture all that, you have to have rapid turnover of mm-hmm. the current tenants that exist, meaning that you, you get them into, let's say like a one year lease, but then by the time that year is up, you want them out because a year from now, what a tenant is willing to pay to live in the same unit is going to be higher if they're moving in brand new than what a current tenant can pay over and above what they were paying the previous year. So what they want is rapid churn on these tenants. And in order to do that, you wage a war of attrition and you're always going to win because when you do that, even if the tenants are organized, which the tenants in this building are attempting to organize, even if they are organized, every single person that says, fuck this, I can't do this anymore. I'm out of here. I got to go find somewhere else to live. Every time one of those people breaks and leaves, you're winning because you can only as like on a, on a, uh, on a certain timeline, like on a, on the X axis of time, you are only going to have older tenants leaving. You're not going to have newer tenants coming in at the same rates and with the same, uh, experiences as the older tenants. You're not going to have a tenant that used to rent with you come back in and rent at the same rate. The longer you draw it out, the closer you are to winning. And right now this building is at a 50, 50 rate of new tenants to old tenants. So what they are doing is when the old tenants are moving out, they are renovating the units to look nice enough for a new tenant to move in, not realizing that this building does not have soundproofing, waterproofing. They don't have the necessary infrastructure to want to stay there long term. And that's just the way they like it because they don't want people staying there for more than one year. They want people yeah. to stay there, pay the rent. And then when the, the lease is up, be like, fuck this. I can't take this anymore. It looked nice, but it's not nice. I'm going to go live somewhere else. And that's exact. Under private oh my, rental yeah. ownership, this is the exact model that they're moving towards. Yeah, they want they want quick turnover because every time they get they get new turnover, they get the the double payments. They get the first and last month rent in there. They yeah. get they get a little bit of a boost, and half the time they can always figure out a way not to give back all of it for this for the, when the exactly. person is moving out. Yeah, which yeah, is why of- I mean you know which is why I think that like you know private rentals should like just absolutely should not exist the 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 balance of interests like the the uh the interests of the landlord and the interests of the tenant are too much conflicting Mm -hmm. landlords are not interested in 
having long-term rentals. They're not interested in providing a place where people can like raise their kids. That's not what they're into. They're no. into quick, tr- they're into short-term like one-year leases and then churning those leases as soon as they expire. Right. Yeah. So a, a year. Uh, so basically like you get your first month, your last month and everything. Yeah. So your first month and last month up front, you get your rental payments as they come in over the course of the year. And then hopefully um, 60 days before the lease ends, boom, you're guaranteed to get another tenant. You have somebody coming to look at the unit 60 days before the current tenant's lease is up. That is the best model that works for them because then you are able to capture all of that uh, market growth. You're not missing out on anything. So anyway, that's uh, that's where we're at. That's why I I don't even know if I can stay in Ontario because fuck this place. No, but uh, it, it sucks. Like uh, you, you might look behind me and go, Stu, you have a nice basically a, a large bedroom yeah uh and i'm not paying a whole i'm paying like uh 900 a month uh, everything included but uh the reason why this room is so big is because this is a living room mm. this is on the first floor this yeah. is a house that they've taken the living room and the the, like, yeah, the, the boarding house yeah. yeah and turn them into bedrooms uh like the the, the walt that's over there that's the, that's fucking might as well be paper mm. uh and there's a guy who sleeps on the other side of that it's 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 awesome i love it I'm almost 30 and this is how I'm living. Great. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so I hit that subscribe button people so I can move into an actual apartment. Yeah. Hit the subscribe button so that, you know, the culture.tv people can actually uh, be paid for the, uh, the important work that we're doing here, you know, getting on and yeah. uh, talking about how shitty our landlords are, but also, you know, just, mm-hmm. just an- analyzing the news in a way that's not going to be analyzed. Oh, and by the way, we have a sub stack that's going to be coming out fairly soon, you know? So yeah, Stay tuned for all that. I'm going to be updating like the uh, the Nightbot so that people are aware of like the stuff that we're doing. Like we now have a podcast out, uh, the new Frankfurt School, just hosted by uh, Michael Petroselli, a uh, prolet cultist, yeah. and and uh, Browning Browning Besserer. Um, and we have other streams that are coming up uh, during the course of the week. And yeah, there's going to be writers. Um, some names you're actually going to know uh, that are coming along with the Substack. So. Yeah, the culture.tv is actually growing fairly quickly. I mean, it was, I would say, slow slow going for a little while, but we were like getting into our groove and figuring out how things work. And now we're like, you know, we're on call in. And when the Android app comes out, then all of our hosts are going to be on call in as well. And we're going to be able to like host interviews with people on call in. You can like, you know, check them out as well. Um, And yeah, we're going to have a subject newsletter. Fermi, thank you for the the prime sub. Oh, thank you very much for that. Appreciate it. Yeah. So anyway, uh, on to our next on to our next topic. Uh, yeah. you know we we weren't here to talk about Doug Ford and rentals all day. Although, <laughs> uh, and I'm not I'm not sorry that we, we got sidetracked into this because it, it it did need to be talked about. I, yeah. I I honestly hate what this province is becoming. It it, it sucks. It sucks to live here. You yeah. can't it can't afford anything, and uh, just our leadership sucks. And yeah. anyone trying to uh, become the new leader sucks. That's just the word of the day. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, Barbara Kay and residential schools. Uh, for the American listeners, do you want to introduce them to Barbara Kay, Stu? Barbara Kay. And speaking of Canada's sort of uh, having sort of dynastic uh, uh, sort of tradition, uh, Barbara Kay and her son Jonathan Kay, who our viewers may be more familiar as the man who uh, has been using dog shampoo for months. Uh, they they're like they're just like mainstay sort of right wing columnists who are just they're they're so reliable death to columnists by the way oh did you hey did you Stu? did you see that i was suspended off of twitter 
because see that. oh my god that, this was the most i've been suspended for a lot of ridiculous shit but this one had to have taken the cake so yeah. uh somebody asked or like there's like a thread going around on twitter saying like hey what's your most left-wing point of view right and in all sincerity i said okay well it's it's just wild to me that um private individuals can own land like the fact that like land ownership is a thing like you can just amass massive amounts of land and they belong to you that's kind of wild to me Mm -hmm. um and also that private companies control the flow of nutrients so like the responsibility for feeding people like being able to like nurse them enough that they can like get up and go to their jobs and come back and raise families and all that that private companies are responsible for the distribution and the consumption of like nutritious foods it's it is did you know that like what is it like 80 percent of all berries are um, managed by a single company, Driscoll's. I did not. I Driscoll's did not has that. yeah. Hold on a second. Let me go look this up. Driscoll's berries share market share. Um, yeah, it's something like uh, an eighty percent um, market share that Driscoll's has on the entire berry market of North America. How the fuck is that possible? That was like right? there was one. There was one lady who was like she was complaining on Twitter and she like dropped. She's like my my father was in charge of the egg distribution in China. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. All yeah. of the eggs. Yeah. I was like, what the fuck? That's yeah. funny. Right. So, yeah, it was just really wild to me that that's even a, a possibility that, like, yeah. you know, that, like, uh, like, that, like, ag companies and meatpacking companies. Okay, Driscoll's has more than 66% of market share in uh, organic berries altogether. Um, they have, let's see, uh, where are we here? Uh strawberries let's look let's look this up strawberries um i know that they had something in the range of like um 35 but let's say uh dollar share okay there we go okay so strawberries 40 so 47 of dollar sales 26 percent of blueberries 15 percent of raspberries blackberries blah, blah blah that's okay so that's their own that's their own growth. Okay. U.S. was the largest strawberry producer. California produces 80% of the strawberries consumed in the country in 2016. And of that, Driscoll's has 84% of the market share in raspberries and 35% of the market share in strawberries. It's just, it's, it's so much fruit. And it, it's like, uh, it's, all, it's, it's all going for profit too. Like that's when you know how, like when you, when you think of that much, that much, the thing I think about is how much waste that that just when they want it when they're just throwing the shit away just mm-hmm. to make sure it's profitable that's the that's the main thing that i have the issue with the that it's that the corporations sort of control feeding people is because in order to make feeding people profitable they have to throw away a shit ton of perfectly good food huh uh and then let's see car between cargill um hormel and tyson uh basically have like almost the entirety of chicken and chicken grains top chicken processes. Okay. So Cargill processes uh, anywhere between 46 and 51% of chicken shares in a given year. Right. So anyway, it was just, like I say, it was wild to me that these companies have such a large share of the ability for people to nourish themselves. Like the, the value of people nourishing themselves aggregates to just a few companies like that is like it is just bizarre to me and so then somebody was like okay listen listen man they said left wing they didn't say uncontroversial so say something wild say something like marx would advocate the distribution of community t-34 tanks and every block should have at least one stinger anti-air missile launcher we want fringe takes my man and i yeah. said okay fine i said once want. a year 
I said once a year, there should be a reverse onus on politicians to prove why they should not be executed publicly. Politicians on a yearly basis, you know how like in Congress, there's like a, there's a congressional um, race every two years. Some mm-hmm. people think that like congressional races are staggered so that like half of them are facing races in 2000, say 22 and half are facing races in 2024. No, in Congress, you have to run for your seat for reelection every two years. And I'm saying, okay, let's double that. Every single year, you should not only have to run for your seat, you should also have to prove why you should not be executed publicly. And I said, okay, let's go ahead and expand that to poli-sci and econ majors. I'm a poli-sci major myself. I would also face this test, right? Poli-sci and econ majors, and I think if you're an IR, uh, if you're an IR graduate, you should just be executed like sight unseen. It shouldn't even be a question. You, you're not proving anything. We're just going to execute you, right? And now, Twitter suspended you for that? Suspended me for this. It. And, I can't believe it. I woke up this morning and I was asked to confirm my phone number because I was suspended for a joke, for a joke saying that mm. if you are a politician, you should have to prove why you shouldn't be publicly executed. <laughs> I didn't say we should go out and kill politicians. I didn't say we should call for the execution of politicians. I responded to a joke and said, my leftmost opinion is that if you are a politician, this is what you should have to do. I'm going to go ahead and share my screen. Uh, give me a second. Uh, but that, that, yeah. That's like Matt Christman. I think it's Matt Christman's take where it's like, if you become president of the United States, you get four terms, yeah. but becoming president is terminal. Like, exactly. Yeah, once your fourth term is once done, you're done, you just, yeah, it's like being a Marleyan yeah. Titan soldier. You you have your ticking time clock starts immediately. Exactly. You know what, so they, you what they swear on the Bible. What they should do is like you know how there's like uh you know uh, presidents get a presidential library. No, what they do is they place you into a presidential holding facility, almost like a retirement community. But then on mm-hmm. a regular basis to clear out our backlog of presidents to prevent them from coming out and making stupid ass takes that affect the electorate, then they have like a running man type game where they like, you know, they'll, they'll have like the running man gladiators and the gladiators. Let's say that it's like, there's like retired generals or there's like, Oh no, no, no. Let's make it even better. Let's make it even better. They're a record of Ragnarok with all the presidents. Ah, What it should be though, is the presidents against veterans who have been denied service by their VA health. Uh, uh, so, so the healthcare that they're supposed to get under the uh, VA health plan, the um, anybody that has been denied service under their VA healthcare plan should be allowed to play the gladiator role. And then the president is the running man. So mm-hmm. they have to, they have to face a gauntlet of people who have been denied those healthcare services. And if they manage to survive, then they get to live the rest of their lives out, but not in America, on some like island. Let's say the Bikini Atoll. Let's let's say that. Yeah. There's a special facility built right next to the collapsing dome on the Bikini Atoll where we send them off to to live out the rest of their years in exile. All right. There's a, there's an empty island uh, in the U.S. Virgin Islands. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's former occupant. M- many of the presidents might have known the former occupant because he recently died. <laughs> But his right, island right. is—you can give them that island. I'm sure yeah, they'd be happy there. Yeah, they'll yeah, probably—they've exactly. been there before. They're used to it. <laughs> right, exactly. So anyway, yeah, you can see that uh, uh, the tweet, which I said, fine, once a year there should be reverse onus on politicians to prove why they shouldn't be executed publicly, apparently violates the rules against abuse and harassment. You may not engage in the targeted harassment of someone, someone, or incite other people to do so. This includes wishing or hoping that someone experiences physical harm. Keep in mind, I didn't say. 
I wish or I want or I hope that someone will experience physical harm. Someone said, what is your leftmost opinion? I said, this is what I think. Yeah, I didn't you're, say you're, I, you gave them the, the opportunity to publicly prove why person? not. You're hoping they have a good enough reason. A reason. But which person, which person, which person was I wishing harm on? Which politician in particular? Is it someone? Who is it someone? Even if it's a, even if it's a group of people, right? Are politicians a protected class of people? Are they oppressed? Are, are politicians are politicians like marginalized by society such that they can't live out their lives and and, and have complete self determination and human expression? No, no, they are not. Okay. So we'll anyway, take I, it up with. Uh... Well, I placed an appeal, so it must have been one of those like mass. Like you know, I haven't done strong enough chain blocking, and I really do need to like up my chain blocking game. So it was obvious that like you know a bunch of people like sent the tweet around in their little group chat, and then like oh, okay, let's get them suspended by mass reporting it. To, to Twitter's credit, I did send in the um, the appeal. It must have been like maybe eight fifteen this morning, and by eight thirty one, they had restored my account. Somebody must have seen it and was like, "Okay, this is fucking ridiculous." Absolutely not, mm-hmm. right? So yeah, yeah, it was. But still, the fact that it could happen in the first place kind of tells me that, like, I'm. I know I've said many times that I'm going to try and like pull back on Twitter, and I have like mo- for the most part, you don't see me doing like long winded analysis. I'm not doing threads with like screen caps of books and like citations and all of that. I'm not doing that anymore. Cause it's like, it's for shit posting and nothing else promoting what we're doing. I'm actually going to end up moving. Like I'm going to start posting more of that kind of content on, it'll probably be like Patreon or locals. You'll definitely see me putting a lot more work into the sub stack. Like once it launches. So for like, you know, 750 word articles, you'll see me on that regularly. I think that I should just be doing a lot more writing than even shit talking. And where it comes to like shorter content, that's just, that's going to go behind the locals. You know, that'll, I'll set up a locals community. You'll see me there. Cause I know for a fact that I can say any of this kind of shit and like rumble is not going to like suspend my account for saying that politicians should have to prove why they shouldn't be executed. Not going to happen no. anyway. All right. You want to wrap up with this, uh, the Barbara K article? Uh, yeah, sure. Oh, we're not going to get we're not going to get into Ukraine today. All right. Uh, well, we've been going for an hour and a half already, so uh, yeah, fair enough. We can get into your Ukraine, uh, but we'll 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 see. Uh, All right. So just this is this is Barbara K, and it's it's an, I'll I'll share it because I want to give everyone the full um the full experience of of the case. The Barbara K experience. Yeah. So Barbara K, what we don't know about unmarked graves at residential schools. Train so all day, Barbara K. By night, all day. Mm-hmm. Sorry. So over the past month, three noteworthy events have presented a pro- as provocative grist to the groaning mill of indigenous settler relations, settler in scare quotes. Oh First acclaimed Cree playwright, playwright, novelist Thompson Highway's memoir, Permanent Astonishment, was published by Penguin Random House. Highway's experience as a residential school did not embar- embitter him. On the contrary, he credited the nine-year stint for the foundational skills that led to creative self-realization. But saying so publicly, once permissible, has become a form of blasphemy in the chattering classes. And here's where it gets really good. In his 2018 Quillette essay on Canada's Cult of the Noble Savage, which included remarks about his abrupt departure from editorship of the Walrus magazine, Jonathan Kay, her son, uh, uh, explained Highway's problematic stature amongst progressives. In 2015, Kay commissioned an article from Highway in anticipation of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission's report. Highway's submission was brilliantly crafted, but heretical. This is always their the heretical, blasphemous. Uh, these are these are religious psychos, is what Kay would like to believe. 
the piece was never published because, as a white colleague explained to Kay, uh, it would upset sensitive constituencies, indigenous groups and their non-indigenous allies, as well as donors, who had become to see our magazine as a reliable voice for approved position on this issue. It was then Kay realized that what I had entered it was not a journalistic enterprise, but a sort of religious, oh, there it is, religious congregation. Then on December 20th, perfect timing for news that drops stone dead in minutes, Mount Royal University informed Francis Widowson, tenured professor, so, uh, professor in Department of Economics, Justice, and Policy Studies, that she was being fired for having contributed to a toxic workplace environment, thereby negatively impacting the mission reputation of the university. Widowson's extensive scholarly research is not in question. Her bio says she uses a political economy perspective in her research on Aboriginal and environmental policy, as well as the politics of religion. But even the title of one paper, The Political Economy of Truth and Reconciliation, Neo-Tribal Rentierism and the Creation of the Victim-Perpetrator Dichotomy, reveals why she is considered a blasphemer by Indigenous activists and their campus allies. Widowson never minces words. Her antagonists are particularly enraged by her needling trope, race hustler, to describe a self-proclaimed spokesperson for a particularly racial identity during a perceived incident of racial tension so the individual can exploit the situation to serve their own interests. In September 2020, Widowson's pointed criticism of the Black Lives Matter movement BLM has destroyed MRU, led to a colleague-initiated petition to have her fired that garnered 6,000 signatures. But even before that, her fate was likely sealed in 2016 when she protested the plan to indigenize learning an ideology-based plan to embrace indigenous knowledge, the ways of knowing, to integrate indigenous teachings and practices. Just to remind everyone listening, this is supposed to be about uh, unmarked graves. So see if you can maybe guess how she's going to tie this in, because she's not getting there anytime soon. Widowson is happy to see indigenous beliefs studied objectively as we do other belief systems like Christianity, but indigenized learning forces students to actively valorize these ways of knowing as equal to science-based knowledge. Such coerced genuflection to other people's idols is just not on for her. Widowson is now engaged in research around the hot potato issue of unmarked graves at Indian, Indian Residential Schools, IRS. Which brings us to the most prom, the promised third event. Jacques Riard, Professor Emeritus at the Department of History at the University de Montreal, has published an article in the Dorchester Review titled, In Kamloops, Not One Body Has Been Found. One of 2021's biggest stories was the discovery of unmarked children's graves in the grounds of Kamloops, BC's former industrial residential school, 1890-1978, founded on Shuswap uh, Chief Louis Klexlixen. Uh, um, apologies for that pronunciation. Uh, Klexlixen. Yeah. In my defense, yeah. I'm I'm not dealing with English too well today. So That's and run good. by the missionary of Oblates of And by the way, that wasn't a correction, that was just me making an attempt, but I I could be completely yeah. wrong there. So apologies. Apologies. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Missionary Oblates of Mary Immaculate uh, and the Sisters of Saint Anne of Quebec. The discovery meme meme uh, arose from a scanning by ground penetrating radar and a search for the remains of children already surmised to have been buried there. The preliminary report did not find bodies, but rather soil disruptions in a nearby apple orchard. No remains were exhumed, but First Nation Chief Roseanne Casimir stated that according to community knowledge, soil abnormalities were 215 missing children, some as young as three. 
The anthropologist who oversaw the scans cautiously theorized that there were likely 200 probable burials, not specifying age based on the disturbances, but only excavation could provide per further evidence on anything, and no excavation is yet to be done. But the story was too good to fact check and went viral, often with the trope mass grave substituting for unmarked graves. Distinction with an enormous difference since mass graves are associated with genocide. Here it comes. Suddenly, there was talk of thousands of missing indigenous children whose parents had not been informed of their deaths. Parliamentary flag was lowered to half-mast. China, of all nations, called for an investigation into Canada's human rights violations at the UN Human Rights Tribunal. Pope Francis expressed pain over the shocking discovery in Canada of the remains of 215 children at Kamloops. Nobody in political authority, certainly not our instantly and objectively apologetic prime minister, has to date pointed out that no actual remains have been found. Thus, Riyard writes, governments and the media are simply granting credence to what is really a thesis, the thesis of the disappearance of children in residential schools. The consensus of cultural genocide endorsed by the TRC, but contested by many accredited historians routinely cold-shouldered by uncritical critical mainstream media, has effectively been elevated to literal genocide, a conclusion that the commission explicitly rejects in its TRC report which was only rejected in the report because they didn't want to like have people get too upset by them actually just straight up calling it genocide. Uh, Murray Sinclair goes into that in great detail about making those decisions. Um, the bulk of the article details myth-busting evidence that should act as cautionary tale against uncritical acceptance of feelings-based narratives over objective academic inquiry. Riard concludes, it is hard to believe that a preliminary search uh, for an alleged cemetery or mass grave in an apple orchard could have led to such a spiral of claims endorsed by the Canadian government and repeated by mass media all over the world. Imaginary stories and emotions have outweighed the pursuit of truth. Riard's essay then terminates in a well-considered question, one all Canadians should ponder, that could be applied with equal relevance to the walruses cancelling of Thompson Highway and MRU's firing of Francis Widow. On the road to re reconciliation isn't the best way to seek and tell the whole truth rather than deliberately create sensational myths. What you've just heard there, the National Post publishing genocide denial. That's what that's what that was. Yeah. Can we just uh hang on a second. I'm gonna I'm gonna go look this up. Um hang on a second. Uh Barbara K uh genocide. Great because she she has she worked her 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 son's own personal grievance into there can't it's it's, it's a family all she does her. all she does is talk about indigenous uh hand wringing all she does is talk about like how much feeling so sorry for indigenous people is like interfering with uh with canadian policy agendas like there's some there's i don't know why she is so fucking obsessed. I'm just going to go through like Barbara Kay's articles here. Let's, 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 let's have a look. Oh um, yeah. Let's see. That will be. I wonder, I wonder what well, the thing is like, all she does really is just like, she engages in culture war bullshit. That's, that is like her whole, uh, raison d'etre. Right. So mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. Electoral reform is the key to American healing. Whatever. That's, I mean, yeah, sure. But that's like a, a bit of a giveaway. High priests of the woke hijack the hijab debate the case for an open category to welcome trans athletes in sports uh, uh, uh which just uh, which i can already guess is her just saying this is a, a make a trans uh like uh category but she but uh she has some like incredibly heinous columns in her background 
right? Like that, this is, this is what she does. She, okay. Uh, Human Rights Watch report criticizes blah, 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 blah. Um, Barbara Kay after the Capitol riot. Um, oh, the cross-referencing on, uh, like you can't do really good bullying searches on National Post. Mm-hmm. But anyway, like I, I, I'll have to go through like the Barbara K archives because I have found some some incredibly heinous stuff in there, and this is like this is actually the kinder, gentler Barbara K. Like she, you know, back in the uh, the two thousands, was basically just calling them a bunch of savages. You know what I mean? Like uh, during the Idle No More movement, it, she was just like, "Well, why are we giving them money anyway? Like they're just going to spend it on liquor. So what? What is the, we're just wasting money? Like." And that that used to be like the commonly accepted mode of column writing where it came to indigenous communities in Canada is just to call them a bunch of money wasting drunks. Right. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, granted, like, yeah, this is pretty heinous and it is genocide denial. But at the same time, this is actually like, if you can believe it, an improvement in the tone of Canadian columnists where it comes to the matters of indigenous sovereignty and addressing Canada's historical crimes against indigenous communities. Yeah. That's that's the thing is where it's like it's for as bad as it was now. Oh boy, was it worse? Yeah, yeah. So better is not the right word, but it was worse before. Yeah. So you know, shout to Barbara Kay. Shout to the National Post. Uh, shout to the genocide deniers who make up. You remember how like Tara Henley went um, off on CBC when she started her Substack and she went off. Mm-hmm. Uh, to talk about how like wolf politics has essentially uh, captured the CBC, like just has hijacked the yeah. discourse. But they still like everywhere in Canadian media is still acceptable to talk like this. So no, it, I, it, you know, people talk about like how much uh, Canadian media has given up the ghost to the woke mob, and you can still talk like this and get published. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because that's the thing is all I was getting from Tara Henley's when I was reading that, it's not that the, that the, that you've been moved on from on, because there's still t- so many people in Canadian media, especially at like the higher up you go, who believe exactly what she believes. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is that at the level she's on, there's a bunch of people who disagree with her and she's losing the argument against them. It's right. not that the argument is, it's that she's not no longer winning the argument or that there's even an argument she has to entertain anymore. Yep. Same with Barbara Kay. That it, it used to be that they could just say whatever they wanted. And people would things. just accept it uncritically. Yeah. Nobody would be around a challenger. And it's the fact that people are actually around that are media savvy enough to challenge these narratives. That's what they have a problem with. And they think that um, encountering a counterpoint the mm-hmm. the idea that you don't you don't that you say something and it's not simply uncritically accepted as conventional wisdom, but that you encounter pushback from people that can come return to you with historical figures, facts, statistics, etc., historical events, the history of Canadian politics, yeah. the history of the Canadian attempt to extirpate Indigenous people and Indigenous cultures. The, the, like, is we're not in the 1980s anymore. And that's what they have a huge problem with. And this is what I talked about on the, the podcast with Glenn. I, I actually like yelled at him last week. I, I My rabbit uh, upstairs in my living room was apparently like freaking out because I was practically screaming at Glenn. I'm like, this whole idea that the woke mob is stopping people from saying what they want is fucking false. And it's a cop out by cowards that don't want to jeopardize their careers by saying shitty things in front of people. Yeah. 
And it's not as though saying those things is what's going to jeopardize their careers. It's the reader pushback that they will encounter. Mm-hmm. Right. So they think that the woke mob is going to come for them. But the problem is they see somebody like um, uh, homegirl that had to uh, uh, quit uh, CBC power and politics. Um, oh, yes. Because she said the N word. Yeah. Oh, my God. Why are names just flying out of my head left and right today? But anyway, it's going to come back to me in a second. Um, The fact that, you know, you have a white journal who, by the way, I I cannot remember a single and I watched Power and Politics and I watched the National. Monday Mesley. I can't remember a single interview that she's done. Nothing of note. Nothing that was memorable. She's never challenged anybody to an extent that I was like, oh, wow, Wendy, that was I'm glad that you put it that way. Nobody's done that before. I cannot remember a single memorable interview that Wendy Mesley has ever done. And when she ended up having to leave CBC, everybody was just so like, oh, poor Wendy is so terrible that after a stellar career, this is going to be what we remember her by. And it's like, well, what what do you remember? What exactly did she do? (laughs) What interview has she conducted? What paradigm has she challenged? What breaking story did she bring to your attention that she ought to be remembered for instead. Nobody can answer that question because she was a hack. Like she was, she, she didn't say or do anything worth remembering her for. So if the fact that people remember her for this is, yes, this is going to overshadow her previous work because her previous body of work was so bland and insipid that it wasn't worth committing to memory. But this yeah, is and- so because because she ended up having to leave because she said the N word during a broadcast with people around. And apparently it wasn't the first time that she'd done it either. There are plenty of journalists I know who will confirm that work for CBC that will confirm that she's done this on multiple other occasions. So uh, a Barbara Kay or a Tara Hanley or a John Kay, they can get away with with this narrative that the woke mob is pushing them out of jobs because that's how in. In in Anglo-American, the job she jumped into a pile of Substack money. Yeah, so uh, well, that's the thing. Like Tara Hanley, she didn't have a career worth remembering either, and she wasn't pushed out of her job. When uh, I would love to have an interview with her, but uh, Jesse Brown beat me to the punch in the terms of asking her, "Okay, so what is it that you wanted to say that you couldn't say? Mm -hmm. Like, what is it that you wanted to write? What story did you want to publish? What? And not even just you. What is it that you wanted to see?" produced published reported on by the cbc that was turned down in favor of reporting on tagalo speaking filipino people who are non-binary that wanted more uh, a broader language to describe lgbtq people in their own language what what story was being put aside for that couldn't answer the question yeah no no it was like who, who, who in your your like that you that you're working for, or what? And give us an example of. And she's like, well, I don't want to throw, I don't want to say it. It's like, well, nobody I've worked for uh, exemplified the thing I'm criticizing. I can't give you a, an examples of instances that uh, exemplify the thing that I'm criticizing. It was just sort of vibe, mm-hmm. and like uh, Knockout Panda was saying, I felt so bad for Jesse on because he wanted her to have something so bad, even if it wasn't it was something that like he may have disagreed with ideologically or whatever. He did want her to have some actual dirt and she just couldn't give him any. Couldn't produce anything. She didn't have shit to say. And this is like, this is the problem that they all have. I don't know if you saw the Jordan Peterson article that dropped as well this morning. Uh, He resigned from his tenured position at university of Toronto. 
He was. I didn't know he was. I was just about to say. Yeah, yeah. He was still. He, was still fact, he took a lengthy leave of absence. Yeah. Uh, so he hasn't taught courses. I couldn't even tell you in how long. Oh, yeah. Um, but he took a lengthy leave of absence, and finally he, you know, pulled the trigger and uh, retired. Um, I'll pull up the the story here. Hang on a second. But and I'm pr- I'm bringing it up because it's of a piece with what we were just talking about. Um, I recently resigned my position as full-tenured professor at the University of Toronto. I am now Professor Emeritus, and before I turn 60. Emeritus is generally a designation reserved for superannuated faculty, albeit those who have served their term with some... Okay, I can't do this anymore. Anyway, he said, um, first, my qualified and supremely trained heterosexual white male graduate students, and I've had many others, by the way, face a negligible chance of being offered university research positions despite stellar scientific dossiers. This is partly because of diversity, equity, and the diversity, inclusivity, and equity mandates, my preferred acronym, DIE. Okay, that's kind of clever. Um, Mm -hmm. These have been imposed universally in academia, despite the fact that university hiring committees had already done everything reasonable for all the years of my career, and then some to ensure that no qualified minority candidates were ever looked. Minority in scare quotes. Yeah. Um, My students are also partly unacceptable precisely because they are my students. I am academic persona non grata. Now, first of all, if, okay, again, he hasn't taught in a number of years, and uh, I don't know that he has been um, supervising like master's theses and PhD dissertations. I have no idea whether that's true, but I I would find it higher. I find it hard to believe that in the number of years of absence that he's uh, filed at U of T, that he was supervising theses and uh, advising on on dissertations. So no. when he says like my students are being overlooked, let's say what what students. You have like have you had any students? You've been away for for since probably about like 2016, 2017, right? I would say it's been a solid I would be surprised if it's been been less than about 3 to 5 years since he's actually taught and supervised anybody. Oh no. Oh, Dude. did I lose Twitch? Oh, no, you're, st- I'm well, coming you're back. still here. You're just, All right, I'm you're coming just back. a big spinning circle. There you are. Okay, I'm back. One second. Um oh. There we go. All right. Um, yeah, I'm not sure why my internet just dropped off, but I just ran a speed test. And it's doing pretty good. Okay. Um, these facts rendered my job morally untenable. How can I accept prospective researchers and train them in good conscience, knowing their employment prospects to be minimal? Who? Who are you supervising? Uh, hey, can you Can you show us examples of people that have been denied the ability to get, say, TA positions because you don't just go from a PhD student to an assistant professor. You're probably going to go down the route of like, you're going to be, you you already will have been a TA for probably a number of years. And then you're going to uh, work in assisting research. If you're lucky, you'll be accepted as an assistant professor a lot of people end up going down the adjunct route, which is pretty much an academic dead end because you're basically like a freelance professor. So the road to a, uh, a, an assistant professor takes a number of years. So I would like to know who has um, uh, submitted a uh, dissertation and successfully argued it, received their PhD, and been denied the ability to go down the professorship track. I, would, I really would like to know. Can you come up with any examples? Um, 
Second reason, this is one of many issues of appalling ideology currently demolishing universities and downstream general culture. Not least because there's simply not enough qualified BIPOC people in the pipeline to meet diversity targets quickly enough, BIPOC being black, indigenous, and people of color. For those of you not in the knowing woke, like, man, shut the fuck up. This is what he's, this is the little sidebar that he said, as if people don't know what BIPOC is. And he has to, like, put a little aside, like, oh, if you're not woke enough, you don't know what to start. Man, man, shut the fuck up. This has been uncommon knowledge among any remotely truthful academic who has served on a hiring committee for the last three decades. This means we're out to produce a generation of researchers utterly unqualified for the job. Okay. This guy is a psychology professor. What has he been talking about for the last five years? The, the dragon of chaos and the female spirit. They're, they're destroying Snow White. They're coming, for your, they're, coming, they're coming for your dirty bedrooms. He's talking, he's talking about, um, he's talking about uh, cultural Marxism. He's talking about postmodernism. He's talking about politics. He's talking about sociology. Are any of these within the wheelhouse of psychology? No. No. He spent his entire public life talking about things that he is not professionally trained in, nor qualified to answer. And yet he has the utter fucking nerve to say that there is a generation of researchers currently being produced that are utterly unqualified for the job. And we've seen that the mean that we've seen what that means already in horrible grievance studies disciplines that combined with the death of objective testing as comp what what death of objective testing they still do SATs they still do LSATs they still do GREs um, has compromised these universities so badly that it can hardly be overstated and what happens in the universities eventually cover colors everything as we've discovered. All my Craven colleagues must craft die statements, diversity, equity, inclusion statements to absurd, obtain a research grant. They all lie, accepting the minority of true believers, and they teach their students to do the same. And they do it constantly with various rationalizations and justifications, further corrupting what is already a stunningly corrupt enterprise. Some of my colleagues even allow themselves to undergo so-called anti-bias training conducted by supremely unqualified human resources personnel. Okay, I, that, that I do agree with them. And lecturing insanely and blithely and in an excess accusatory manner about theoretically all pervasive, racist, sexist, heterosexist attitudes. Such training is now often a precondition to occupy a faculty position on a hiring committee. Need I point out that implicit attitudes cannot, by the definitions generated by those who have made them a central point of our culture, be transformed by short-term explicit training. Assuming that those biases exist in the manner claimed, and that is a very weak claim, and I'm speaking scientifically here. The implicit association test, the much vaunted IAT, which purports to objectively diagnose implicit bias, that's automatic racism and the like, is by no means powerful enough, valid and reliable enough to do what it purports to do. Two of the original designers of the test, Anthony Greenwald and Brian Nozick, have said as much publicly. The third professor, um, uh, Mazarin, uh, Mazarin Banerjee of Harvard, remains recalcitrant. Much of this can be attributed to overly, overtly leftist political agenda, as well as to her embeddedness within a sub-discipline of psychology, sociolo social psychology, so corrupt that it denied the existence of left-wing authoritarianism for six decades after World War II. I would like to know where left-wing authoritarianism exists. Whatever the fuck. The same social psychologists, broadly speaking, also casually regard conservatism in the guise of system, system justification as a form of psychopathology. It goes on and on. I'm not going to read it to the end because this is fucking, it just carries on forever. 
Um, this is not like an 850 word article. It is like a 1500 word screed, and it doesn't get any better than this. Yeah, but my name to, tends yeah. to drone on. Yeah, but to the point, like this is this is what uh, this is what they're talking about is like there is this all powerful leftist woke ideology that is um, crushing not only principal dissent but objective reality and empirical truths. I would like to know where it exists that this is happening. Nobody has been able to point this out. Where are these students that are unqualified to teach what they're teaching? Where Give are these us students? one example. Name names. Name somebody. Slavoj Žižek did the exact same shit in their debate. He's like, okay, where are these communist professors? Where? Couldn't name them. Where yeah. are these? Where are these? Uh, where are these? Hyperwoke CBC editors who are denying. Uh, yeah, who, who are these people denying your hard hitting uh, stories about the housing the, crisis? Or the, the top, CBC the top five, talk about. the top five most underrated restaurants in Vancouver. Like, mm-hmm. you know, who who are these students that are interviewing for teaching positions and not getting them? Who? And on the condition that they're white and male, I would, I mean, I would love to know who they are. That the committee came back and said, "Hey, you qualify. Excuse me, you are a great candidate. Your CV matches up. Uh, your expertise, your background, your your dissertation was excellent. Uh, the supervisor and the faculty who challenged it all had several things to say about you." But you're a white male and you're a cis heterosexual, so unfortunately, mm-hmm. we can't take. I would like. I would like to know who's gone through that process and maybe I can have a conversation with them to learn things that I didn't know before. I'm all ears. I would like to know who these people are, but you'll never fucking meet them because they can never come up with an example of one. Yeah. Or if they actually did, it'd become very obvious. It's like, well, okay, now I know why you didn't get it. Now you're white male. Maybe you're just overestimating your own ability. Yeah. So anyway, uh, I mean, you know, we can leave it off there. Um, it's just, it's tiring to deal with this fucking anti-woke, because the thing is like, there are, there are legitimate chrisms to be made of like cheap identity politics and intersectionalism. There are legitimate critiques to be made of using as using identity as a marker of virtuousness, goodness, or qualification. There are legitimate concerns to be, uh, hashed out. But they do it in such a ham-fisted manner, and they can't come up with any examples of why what they're talking about is harmful, because they're arguing against a reality that simply doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Because everyone's, everyone, yeah. Made the, yeah, everyone's made the joke uh, however many times. It's like, help, I'm being silenced by the woke left mob. Read about my silencing on the New York Times, right. editorial pages, CBC, New York Times, right, all, like, just it, on my sub stack. They won't shut up about how they're being silenced and they can't say anything. And right. it's like, well, yeah, it just gets very old very quickly, but then it just doesn't stop because they keep making a lot of money on it. Yeah. Well, anyway, I mean, we can leave it off there, but uh, yeah. yeah, it's, it's incredibly tiresome. It's so hackneyed and cliche that at this point it's just a joke, but you know, it gets space in our national newspapers. Um, yeah. You know, so shout to the national columns. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, so yeah, out of the uh, streams, let's see who should we raid into today. Oh, Keffel's is streaming. Let's uh, let's drop everybody off in Keffel's channel. Hell yeah! Do that. Okay. Right. I saw I saw the search of streaming, and so is Left Flank Vets. But um, 
I, I very much like. Oh, you know what? No, 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 no. You know what? Let's actually raid into Left Flank Vets because they did give us radio the night. Shout out to Left Flank Vets. Mm-hmm. Um, Kevils, we'll we'll hit you up next time. We'll definitely hit you next time. Hell yeah! All right. Sure um, any, anything? Anything that you want to say or anything you want to plug before we goes to? Um, that's about. Uh, oh, if you do have, if you want to watch CBC, uh, uh, still standing that little like comedy show where they go to little small towns. They're going to be yep. in Wakefield tonight, so that's that'll be fun for you. And cool. beyond that, just uh, come on, hang out uh, at Left Hand Stew on my stream uh, Saturdays and usually yeah Saturday nights. All right, perfect. Cool. Okay, so we're going to go ahead and raid into Flank Meds now. We're going also going to end the uh, room at Colin. Thanks, everybody who called in. Thank you for all uh, for listening in the Colin room. Thanks, everyone, for hanging out with us on Twitch, and we'll see you again next week.